0: the law report with karen key
1: and a very good evening to you from tonight's law report program well i'm joined this evening by michael begram practicing managing partner at begram's attorneys labor law specialists michael once again good evening welcome back to the show always a pleasure to have you here
2: hi thank you i'm very excited about tonight we've got lots of
1: interesting questions And let's make it a fun evening and educational. It always is with you, Michael. And just before we begin, just a reminder, if you need any information regarding the Law Report, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Law on SAFM. But if you'd still like to contact me directly, you can do so via email on law at safm.co.za. And as Michael mentioned, we do have a number of emails. So we'll start off with those. But you can call us in the meantime on 0892 10 0892 10 Leave your name and contact details with my producer and we'll call you back once we're done with the emails. But we probably will take some calls in between. So we'll sort of spread the emails around through the evening. So if you'd like to call now, Call us on 89 2010 Michael, we'll start off with this one. It's from Keith. He says, I work as an armed reaction officer and we were given an 8% increase. However, some got from 33 to 93 cents. Now, he wants to know what the exact amount that should be added if you earn 20 rand an hour. Oh, that's uh, not really a label I, or question. I didn't do maths from a
2: trick. No, so nor I did or, I. It. And I'm, I'm at, you know, notoriously lawyers and especially attorneys are useless in mathematics um, obviously, he just needs to go and work out what is the actual percentage. You must look what he's getting per hour and then multiply it by whatever the percentage is and is it see 8%? what the percent and multiply mm. it by the eight percent and see what it is. It sounds correct um, unfortunately and yeah, it's, it's not a, not a very handsome increase when you're earning a small amount like that. Eight percent is not a big increase um, but eight percent is eight percent. there's a scientific answer to that. I can't give it to you
1: because I'm too doff. <laughs> I doubt that, Michael, very much. <laughs> oh, okay, so Sipo says, I'm a grade 12 learner at Mdansani in U6 doing business studies. My curiosity is this. Is a candidate employee allowed to take any leave during the crisis or deadline time of the business?
2: You know, leave is something <laughs> that is an interesting topic because we're coming up to that time of the year when people are all looking for their leave. Um, the... Leave can only be taken by agreement. In other words, you would go to your employer as the employee and give them as much lead in time as possible and say that I'd like to take leave during X, Y and Z days. And that employer would then have a look at their um, diary and say, yes, we're not doing a stock take during that time, so you can take the leave. Or it's not our big um, time of the year where we make money, so you can take leave. It's when... The employer agrees with you to take leave, that's when you can take leave. They must allow the leave during that 12-month period. It's at some stage during that 12-month period. We've just had a very interesting um, case, uh, which you would like to hear, I'm sure, because we've just had um, Eid, and uh, a group of employees approached their employer and said they'd like to take their leave for Eid, and the employer said no. And it led to a lot of allegations about discrimination, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the solution was that they should know when Eid is coming up. Um, we all know when Christmas is coming up. It's coming up on the 25th of December. And the idea then is to apply a year. Or well, time in, in advance. So the employer can then say, yes, I can get my operational requirements in order. So the answer over a year is... You can't really just take leave during a crisis or a deadline of a business because you can't suddenly decide, you know, I really don't enjoy stock take. I'm going to apply for leave. So, like, you can't
1: say tomorrow, well, I'm
2: taking and leave next week. Correct. And the idea is to actually plan your leave for in advance. I know sometimes it's uh, inadequate because you need to take leave or, you're, you know, someone's
1: had an accident. Well, I'm sure that would then be looked at in that a different light. would be looked at
2: completely. That's the point. So, to answer CC4... Um, try and plan your leave for in advance and don't plan it when you know they're gonna have deadlines
1: so if you know that on a certain day on a certain month that something happens every year don't plan your leave over that time because then it is going to be a problem correct okay correct. right um, this is from Foster says I would like to know if it's fair for a company to suspend their staff without telling them what they're suspended for oh this is taboo sorry
2: yeah, taboo. No, this, is, this is taboo um, the, the, the issue is Suspension is fair in our law as long as it's properly applied and for good reason. Now, what happened to Talbot over here is not fair because they have to explain to you why they think you should be suspended beforehand. Uh, Invariably, I always tell all my clients, I have companies that are clients of my law firm, and they come to me and they say, we want to suspend Joe Soap. And I always ask them two questions. Why do you want to suspend him, first of all? and will it be functional to suspend him and what it is is if someone is going to interfere with a witness or is going to interfere with evidence or is going to cause some trouble at work or you don't trust him because he might do something underhand or destroy the computer system then you have a good reason to suspend him and then also you need to investigate at that suspension discussion as to whether, in fact, there is a case against him or her. And so what happened to Tabo is very unfair. They can't just suspend because they feel like suspending. Bottom line, suspension
1: has to be done fairly. Okay, right. We have Solomon on the line in anything, Solomon, good evening. Good evening, Karen. Welcome to the show, Solomon. How can we help you? I know you've got a bit of a problem with an ex-employee who coerced you to resign as an employee in exchange for a professional services contract. So you want to know about this. Okay, speak to Michael, ask him what you need to know.
3: Okay, what I want to know is that uh, what is my recourse? Uh, After I was uh, uh, forced to resign as an employee uh, in exchange for a professional services contract, which was later terminated unlawfully and unilaterally by the employer, uh, to the extent that we had to end up going to a high court, where we were forced to go into arbitration, but at the arbitration, the employer also sent uh, witnesses to also indicate that I think the property that I was supposed to sell on my professional services contract uh, were not sellable. And then as a result, I couldn't end up getting any reward uh, that was
1: sufficient from the arbitrator. Can an employee coerce you to resign as an employee and become a contract worker?
2: No, well, I mean, obviously, empl- employers do sometimes try and, uh, you know, they, they look to you as an employee and they say, listen, I'd like you to resign. And they try and push you to do it or convince you to do it. Unfortunately, unless you can prove that you were coerced to a degree that there was a gun to your head and you as an adult then sign a resignation letter, that's a unilateral action. Um, obviously, the message to go out to everyone is, if you don't want to resign, don't do it. It doesn't matter what your employer says. If you don't want to do it, don't do it, because the minute you have resigned, that's unilateral. And it's impossible, unless the employer agrees, to withdraw that. You would then have to go to a court and show that you got forced and you had no choice. Um, and I, I'd be interested to know what happened in your court case, in your arbitration. Yeah, the
3: arbitration ruled in my favor right. and indicated that I think it was a repudiation, and uh, as a result, they had to award um, damages to the company because I was even uh, told to form a company which uh, worked with uh, my employer. So the, 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 the uh, arbitrator ruled in my favor.
2: And that was but a commercial because, commercial arbitration, not a labor arbitration. No, no, not, not a labor, it was a okay, commission. That's it. And you see, what happened was, obviously... You were owed a certain amount of commission, and they must have said those are the damages and they must pay it to your company. Is that correct? That's what happened, yes. Okay, because then what was taken as fair was your resignation as an employee. You weren't fighting about that. What you were fighting about is the damages that you had incurred subsequent... In exactly, your new, in your you know,
3: So I wanted to find out, can't I challenge the, the, the issue of now resignation because to me it's tantamount to uh, constructive dismissal because they forced me to uh, sign this letter uh, that I'm uh, resigning as an employee in exchange for the PSC and you can see the dates uh, that happened. I signed uh, the, the, the 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 letter after the contract was already or given to me. So after six months when they realized that I think now I'm now out of time, they knew that they can terminate that contract and then I won't have any uh, recourse because when, when I went to the CCMA, uh, the CCMA indicated that I was out of time.
2: Yeah, I think, think you had
3: to request for, uh, yeah. for condonation, which I don't,
2: think I don't think you're, you're going to get anywhere on that one you've already relied on the new contract and sued on the new one you can't now go back on the old one and say no, I want to sue on that one as well um, you can't you can't have damages twice in a situation like that over and above the fact that you now, a long time out of time um, yes. you know it, to get condemnation for that it will be almost impossible and also you need to you have the onus you have to show that you got forced to resign and I don't know how they're going to how you're going to show that you got forced to resign unless they held a gun to your head or they, they i don't know what they did to you to force you to resign but convincing you to resign is not the same as forcing you to resign it's a big difference i don't think you've got a case there no
3: okay so I don't, I don't have any other course maybe where i can be able to go to the labor uh, court to be able to challenge uh, this uh, whole
2: thing i don't think you will have no and the labor courts also going to raise the issue that you've already sued on the new contract and you've got damages for that. You can't rely on okay. two. You can't approbate, and uh, I can't remember the, the two terms, but you can't rely on, on accepting a contract and not accepting a contract. You can't sue twice.
3: Also, the yeah. yeah. Even if, even if when, when I, I did the work, I did it as a, a, a closed corporation and not as an
2: It doesn't employee. matter. You owned the closed corporation. You were the member. Yes. Um, so yeah, you can remember uh, you know, you're not going to be able to do it. No.
1: Sorry, Solomon, doesn't sound like too much good news there.
3: OK, thank you very much for Again. the information.
1: Thank you. Pleasure. Mate. Thanks for getting through. Good night to you. Just to take another quick email from Victor. He says, my father used to work for the company that builds the Tar Roads. I'm not going to tell you the name. He says he was told that he was working as a casual and the job came to an end a few years back. Now he's gone to apply for an old age pension and he was denied the pension because the system shows that he still works for the company. What can he do to assist his father?
2: Well, his father can take proof to show that he, he came it came to an end I don't think that's correct. Um, I, I don't know what system he's talking about with the old age pension, but if it's government system, the company might still be paying in his uh, UIF or something, and they never, they, by mistake they never took it off the books. He can go and sort that out. This
1: is an administrative error, and he's entitled to his old age pension. Okay, he says, and he has a second question. He says, this is very quick, we dealt with this a couple of weeks ago, how long must I have been working for a company in order to get family responsibility leave?
2: Yes, we did discuss this a few few weeks back, actually, Mm. and family responsibility leave is in terms of Section 27 of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, and in that you need to have been working at least four months before you can access your family responsibility leave, and you also need to work more than a four-day week. So it must be more than four months and more than a four-day week, and then you can access your family responsibility, the basic conditions of employment.
1: Act. Right, Victor, I hope that answered those questions for you. Uh, Lutando in the Free State, good evening. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you?
4: Very well. Um, I've got a question. My, I've got a contract. I'm working permanently, and I've got a contract. My contract is a four-week contract. It's called a flexi contract. Where I'm working, we open on Sundays as well. But my primary role doesn't um, need me to be working on the Sunday. Now I'm multi schooled because I've got. As I'm, four, I'm shouldering four, um, four positions, so I'm able to do four things for four different people. On the Sunday, I work a position that is not the one I'm employed for. When it's time for ratings and all that, I don't get paid. I don't get rated on any of the positions. Now my question is this. Would I have a leg to stand on if I said I don't want to work on the Sunday because my role doesn't allow me to, doesn't require me to?
2: Now, if, if in fact, and, and thank you for that, It's an interesting question, but if in fact you've been traditionally working on the Sundays anyway, I presume, first of all, you're getting one and a half times your normal rate on the yes. Sunday because you're entitled to that. Mm-hmm. But if in fact that's what you traditionally have been working to do, then, in fact, if you suddenly come forward and say I'm not going to, they can say, "Well, now you're repudiating the contract, and we might have to retrench you and put someone else in that position who will work the Sundays." Um, it's like, for instance, those contracts where people say, "I don't have to do overtime," mm. but, but I've been working overtime ever since I started there, mm. uh, and then they and then you say, "Well, I actually don't. It's not necessary for me to work on the overtime." Mm-hmm. Um, Then they might say, well, we want someone who can work overtime, so we'll get rid of you. So be careful of that, um, unless your circumstances are vastly different. In other words, when you first started, you weren't working on the Sundays, and also you had to explain to them why you didn't want to work on a Sunday. My
4: concern is that um, in, in the beginning I was working on the Sunday, and I was getting paid for the Sunday time and a half, of course. Now they changed and said, "No, I'm not going to be. Get, I'm not going to be getting money in terms of compensation. I'm going to be getting time off. Now, mm-hmm. um, because now when they're saying that it's a it's a 158 cycle for for the four week cycle, it's, I should be working 158 hours. Okay. Now with my with my position, I'm able to do the 158 without me having to work the Sundays because I work the Saturdays, but I can." Cover the one hundred and fifty eight without having to work on Sundays, because what happens is that if I work the Sunday during the week, I have to take some time off now because they have to they have to keep it at the hundred and fifty eight
2: yeah, well, it depends on their operational requirements. I would actually go and engage them on discussions on that rather than just saying I'm refusing to do it. Might but would have I
4: have a leg to stand on you? Would, because you would. I am planning to engage them, but I needed to have something um, tangible before I go yeah. to, the, to engage them to say that because of one, two, and three, I think that I, I, I won't be able to work on the Sunday and then to have something to fall back on to say that I have got the right not to work on the Sunday because my primary role, which is the one I signed the contract on, does not require me to work on the Sunday. And the roles I work on the Sundays, I am not rated on those ones. I'm not getting paid on those ones. I'm not getting any acknowledgement on those ones. I'm only getting paid or rated on the one I work from the Monday to the Saturday.
2: I understand what you're saying, and there is no direct right that you can say that I refuse to work on that day. You can't just say I refuse. What you can do is you can enter into discussion with them and explain Mm. what you've just explained to me. Mm. I wouldn't go in um, ready to start an argument. I'd go in to try and convince them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you fall under a bargaining council or under the CCMA, but you could actually raise a grievance internally and try and take it on unfair labour practice. Mm. Uh, specifically because Sunday might be a day you want to spend with your family. Um, so you would raise it on that basis. But I wouldn't on in labour law saying I refuse to do it. Don't get into that. You could lose the job.
4: So I don't have a, a leg to stand on if not, I say I can't work on the Sunday?
2: Not on the on the labor law itself by itself but on in fairness you might have the leg to stand on
4: but then um would if they don't want to say uh, if they don't want to let me go to work if they don't allow me to not work on the sundays would i then um be um in the wrong if i say they must relook my contract
2: no you won't but you might lose the job so you've got to be careful
4: would they have a right to actually fire me? Would no, no, they? they won't
2: fire you. They'll, for operational requirements, they'll say that the person in this position, mm. we want them, and we will explain why why we want that person to do the Sunday work. Um, and for operational requirements, they might then have a right to get rid of you. To That's what I'm you. saying.
4: That my position, the one I'm working on, does not require me to work on the Sunday, but because I've got skills in other positions in the business. Mm. On the I understand Sundays, I'm not that. working. What I'm actually doing, my position doesn't uh, say I must work on the Sunday. There's no, there's no work for me on the Sunday in my position, but I'm able to do other people's positions. So on the Sunday, I'm only assisting in a different positions, not the one I'm, I'm employed. Absolutely,
2: for. understand that. But that's what they might be needing. Mm. They might be saying no one else wants to do it. We've got this position to do it. If mm. you can't do it, we'll get someone else to do it, and we don't need you then. Okay. Okay, so be careful.
1: And it's that thing I like to call retrenchment, but you call it what? It's a whole long thing.
2: Dismissal for operational requirements. There you and go. they might say this is operation in their. Mm. In their so they
4: might dismiss me because of that.
2: Correct, and it's, and it's dangerous.
4: Okay.
1: Sorry, Lutandu, not good news. Sorry about this. good news at all. No, so sorry. Okay, <laughs> good night. Right, another quick email. It says, I need information on a peace officer t- certificate. I'm a traffic officer in KwaZulu-Natal. We've been taken out of uniform for the past two years as I was convicted of driving under the influence. It happened off-duty. Now they are saying we can't practice as traffic officers if we don't have these peace officer certificates, which only SAPs can issue. Now, if Attorney Michael Bagram can please shed some light, he says, "Yeah, I, I think I can. It
2: obviously fits fits in with the KwaZulu Natal Traffic Officer Ordinances, mm. and obviously there is a an ordinance, and I don't, I'm no expert in that ordinance and administrative law of, with regard to traffic officers in KZN, but it clearly looks like they have to have the peace officer certificate, and in order to have the peace officer certificate." You can't have a previous criminal conviction and this this can be it's it's two years now and you probably can have an attorney look at it up in KZN to see if they could try and get that conviction taken off the record and expunged from the record Um, but I think it is worth investigating because this is a career that he's got and it's probably worth investigating to either get that or to have a look at the regulations the administrative regulations to give an answer so, yes, it's worth looking at, but now I can't tell you for, for absolute sure that it's there in the administrative. I tried to find it before, and I couldn't find it.
1: Okay, so you need to actually consult somebody up in KZN who will probably who be, will be more fair with all of that. And yes.
2: access to that
1: administrative law. Okay. Let's take a call. Anele in East London, good evening. Good evening, how are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? Very fine, thanks, man. How can good we good help? Mm. Yes. Um,
5: you know, I'm working for the government, you know, you have this situation with regard to disciplining a shop steward. You must first consult with the union. Now, the challenge here, you know, we were debating this. We intend, we just given the intention to charge. We have not yet made a decision. Now, his response was to say, no, we needed first to consult with his union. But my take is that we have not yet made that decision. Based on his submission to us, only then we will make a determination. So now we at loggerheads with that union. The union say no. We are supposed to consult with them before we issue an intention. So I just wanted clarity on that.
2: Yeah, I, this is this is a hotly debated topic. Um, I'm involved in one myself with Pop Crew and and the government, uh, in the police force. I think yeah. you're correct. I think that if all you've done is you've alerted the employee, and the union now, by the looks of things that you are looking to a possibility yeah. of actually prosecuting at a disciplinary hearing. You haven't done it yet. Yeah. That possibility then opens up the discussion between you and the union as to what is going to happen. So now you're consulting with them. That's what you're busy doing. Otherwise, yeah. how could you inform them in the first place? I think, yeah. you, I think you are absolutely correct. The notice of intention to have a disciplinary hearing is purely that. you intending yeah. to do it. They might yeah. convince you not to do it. So I think you're absolutely correct. Your interpretation is fine. Uh, Don't let the union bully you into this one. All right. Okay. Thanks,
1: man. So help you, help you, Anili. Okay. Yes.
4: Yes. Indeed.
1: Good. Thanks for getting through. Thanks, man. Good night. Bye. Bye bye. You're tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is Michael Bagram, and he's an attorney in Cape Town practicing as Begrum's attorneys, labour law specialists. And obviously, we're talking about labour law. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010, 0892 10 2010 one more email quickly um from naughty in durban he says he was called by a company for an interview this was five years ago so he went for the interview which he did very well at the interview after a couple of days he was called in again for the medical test which he passed he was told to wait for another call to come he waited they called again to come for the fitness test that he had to go to Newcastle for that for two days. He came back and received a call telling him that he has done very well again. After that, they called me again to come to Peter Maritzburg this time, where the interview was done for the evaluation test. So he went there for two weeks, came back, waited for the call to tell him when, you know, when he was going to sign the contract. They called him again for another medical test, which, Again, he did very well, apparently. They told him to wait for the call again to tell him when he was going to start working and because that was uh, it was the last medical test before he was going to start the job. And on, to date, right till now, they've never called him again. So now he wants to know, is it something he should follow or must he just forget about it because he doesn't know what went wrong because he did well in everything? He says, I was supposed to, he did well in everything he was supposed to, even though he doesn't have anything in hand like the employment contract. So they, they slipped him all over half of KZN, and then that was it, never heard another word.
2: Yeah, first but all. But granted,
1: it was five years yeah, ago. First of all, it's too late.
2: Nothing you can do now. Second of all, when you have got rights as an applicant for a job, he's an applicant and he had rights. When he is in some way discriminated against as an applicant, in other words, They say, we're not taking you because you're black or you're white or you're a woman. That's discrimination and it's negative discrimination, unfair discrimination. Then he can challenge them. But the onus lies on him to show that there's discrimination. Um, All we've seen over here from the background, all he probably knows about is that he did reasonably well in all these evaluations, but there might have been people who did better than him and they took them.
1: But it would have been so nice if they kind of told him It should that. have, and
2: it doesn't sound like this is a fair and reasonable way to handle people.
1: No, when he says five years later, he's still
2: waiting for them yeah, to call him. Yeah, I mean, that, that's unbelievable, and I'm sorry for him. But, yes, I think he summed it up. He must get on with it. Just forget about it and get on with life.
1: Unfortunately.
2: Unfortunately.
1: Right, Kenneth in Tembiso, good evening. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thanks for taking my call. It's a pleasure. How can we help you, Kenneth?
6: Yeah, actually i need to understand uh how does the compensation fund works it's like i've been injured at work, so how do i get paid in those first three months it's like sometimes i'm getting paid sometimes i don't get paid so when i make an arrangement to speak to them it's like they're making the i need to understand how do i
2: apply for that okay there, we we did have a program on this and uh uh, maybe Corin can give you that, that link to have a lit, to listen to that old program on it. But the reality is you don't apply. The company applies for you. And okay. I presume and I presume you've completed the paperwork. They've sent it in. It's their obligation. The first three months, they must pay for you. Okay. Um, the yeah, company so. pays. And then they claim it back from the Workmen's compensation commissioner. Then okay. after that, the commissioner steps in. Now, the problem that we have... And it's a problem that you've got is that the Workman's Compensation Commissioner is erratic and they, they mess around a lot. I don't know what they're doing, but some people don't get, ever get paid. And people okay. wait for years for this. My yes. suggestion to you is get back to your employer yes. and get your employer to start nagging them. Is there someone who works in the uh, pay office or is it a big company that you work for? No, it's like it's a liberal broker. A labor broker. Well, they'll know how to handle the commissioner. Now, you must get into your labor broker, mm-hmm. who's your employer, and yeah. get them to push to find out what's going on because it's it's not the labor broker that pays. It's the commissioner, the government. And they yeah. unfortunately, they're very, very bad in their payments and the way they work it out. And sometimes they lose the files. And other times, that you just never hear from them. So you need to keep pushing. You need to be vigilant about it and make sure that your employer, the labor broker, pushes them as hard as possible.
6: Yeah, actually, even now, I don't don't know whether they uh, they, they, they have submitted those forms because I try to make arrangements with them. When I go there to make uh, an an appointment, they just let me sit in, maybe about
2: three hours, then I end up uh, going because there's no one was attending. Where do you sit for three hours at your employer, at the labor broker? Yeah. Now, well, then go to the commissioner's office. Go get try and find out where which town are you in? Well, there is a commissioner's office nearby, and you must get to there and find out if, in fact, your employer did. Otherwise, you must report them. They will be able to look it up. Take your ID in with you, and they'll be able to look it up for you at the commissioner's office.
1: Kenneth, when were you? the
2: Department of Labor, sorry.
1: Kenneth, when were you injured? It's like
2: uh, two months and two weeks.
1: Back. Okay, so uh, but now the labor broker, being your employer, he should they should have, they should have been paying you directly for the first three months. Correct.
6: Yeah, actually, they are paying me. Sometimes they don't pay me, and when I go there and ask for my pay sleep and so on and so forth, they just, they don't attend me. I just see dead reception. Then I end up going.
2: Yeah, I think spend a little bit of time now at the Department of Labor. Yes, I to speak to the Commissioner's the Compensation Commissioner's Office. Yeah. and find out what's going on. But take your ID and a payslip here, one of your slips with you, one
6: of actually, your old you know, slips. Yeah, actually, I don't have any slip because uh, I get injured in the third day at work. So when I go there to ask for my payslip, no one
2: is attending me. And what about the old ones? Have you got any actually, old Actually,
6: I get injured
2: on the third day at work. On your first day? Third. Third, third day. day. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, go in with your ID uh, to the to the department and let them investigate because it's not fair if they haven't done that and then they'll force them to do it okay thanks sir. okay thank okay, you kenneth
1: good luck and i hope you get better soon okay thanks thanks okay. for the call good night Let's take another email quickly from Tumi. He says, I have an employee under my supervision at work. He complained about a back pain and personal issues after having crashed the company car. I then referred him to Employee Assistance Program for his personal issues. He then took some a few days off. Consequently, he was admitted to hospital under a psychologist's supervision. The psychologist's reports now come as a recommendation to relocate him close to his family and not to work in the high-voltage environment due to his state of health. My question is, what do I do with that employee in the meantime as I cannot accommodate him in any other work I would also like to state that he previously was a clerk requ- requested to work in the field and now I don't know how to accommodate him
2: well obviously the, the last sentence is important because if he was previously a clerk then clearly he's able to do that sort of work and you could offer him that job back as a clerk again if you can find the position they can and,
1: relocate him
2: yeah and and at least that would sort him out now in terms of schedule eight of the Labor Relations Act You have to try and accommodate someone where they've got some sort of illness or injury. Um, It looks like this is a permanent uh, illness. The psychologist seems to want to relocate him due to his state of health. Um, And if you can do that, then obviously you do that, but you've got to try somehow and work out an accommodation of someone's health. I'm busy doing a case at the moment where a man suffers from epilepsy, bad epilepsy. And it's now for the employer to specifically accommodate that and not to just say, sorry, I can't help you and cheers you out of here. So there is a way in which this could be done, but I can see a gap here. He was previously a clerk. He can do that work. Um, it's not uh, under the high-voltage situation. But what if
1: there isn't a position open? If there
2: isn't and he can't do it, then he might have to look at a retrenchment if this is a permanent situation. And in terms of schedule 8, you need to terminate the employment contract due to ill health or injury.
1: Mm, Okay, which wouldn't be good if he's having personal issues and he's under a psychologist. It's not exactly going to be the best news if they have to do that. But, you know, I suppose if you're sitting in a position where your back is against the wall, what else do you do? That's the wrong phrase. Well, yes. <laughs> okay, right. George in Muscle Bay, good evening. Good evening, man. Hello, how can we yes, help you, George? Uh, yes, I have, I have a problem.
6: Eh? I make a crime in 2002. Then I got the fine and suspended sentence. Now I count as I think it's now more than 10 years. Uh, then, <laughs> once I apply for a pardon or expungement, uh,
1: uh, what is the procedure to follow? 10 years.
2: Yeah, you, you obviously can. I'm not a criminal lawyer, so you must take what I say with a pinch of salt because I'm not an expert and you need to speak to a criminal lawyer where you are. Um, but I think 10 years is enough time now, and I'm sure the law would allow that to be expunged. It's not
6: just for assault. You know, it's just
2: for assault. Yeah, it, 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 it sounds like you can get that expunged. But you would need uh, to speak okay. to a but criminal need, attorney. I would speak to a criminal attorney or go into um, um, uh, an, an, one of those advice offices, advisory offices, if you've got one nearby where you live, and get them to make a few phone calls for you. All
6: right. Okay, George. Thank you very much.
7: It's a pleasure. Thank you. Good luck to you.
1: Good right. night to you. Right, our last email for the evening is from Shlompo. It says, a friend, and this is all very confusing, Michael. You're going to have to explain this to me. It says, a friend has just concluded a 105A agreement where her company is accused number one and herself in her personal capacity as a representative and sole owner of her CC is accused number two in a potential fraud case. She was represented by legal aid who informed that they are not allowed to represent her company and can only represent her in her personal capacity, hence the 105A agreement. It only has her and the state as parties to the agreement. She was fined accordingly as per the agreement. With her company as accused number one as per charge sheet not being mentioned or included in the 105.8 agreement, what does it make of this agreement? Is it valid or is it of no consequence that her close corporation is not covered or included and only her, only she is mentioned in the agreement and therefore the sentencing? Her other concern is that while she agreed to sign the document on the advice of her legal aid lawyer, she wanted to include in this agreement the fact that her actions were unintentional and that she had undertaken steps to mitigate against prejudice resulting from her actions. Her lawyer discouraged her from including this and threatened to pull out as her representative, citing a conflict of interest as a possible excuse. She went on to sign what are her remedies in these situations. I don't understand yeah, what happened the, here. the
2: bottom line is that they did commit, someone committed fraud and she was the, um, the representative. She was the member of the close corporation. She, in fact, accepted in terms of advice from her lawyers, the legal aid lawyers, she accepted the,
1: uh, the, the, the blame. Against her better judgment problem or, accounts.
2: Or, or whatever, but she's her only case is in fact against possibly the legal aid lawyer, but not against anyone else. She's accepted, she's signed, they've done a deal um, and they've been to the court and they've made the uh, confession uh, an order of the court. So So that's it, that's it, that's the end of it and don't worry about the close corporation because that doesn't help her in any way but if she feels that she was bullied or somehow strong-armed by the lawyer well there's action against the lawyer. She can go to a law society and, and complain over there uh, but that's about the only thing she can do. Because you can't go back to the state and say, I got bullied into pleading guilty. That that you can't do. So you've
1: either done it or you haven't pleaded. Yeah. I mean, you either pled or you haven't plead, So
2: yeah, She was represented by a lawyer, and with her lawyer, she signed the, the agreement. It, it ill behoves her to come forward now and say, actually, I, I don't think that was a great idea. Um, that's in her better judgment she did this. There's not much she can do about it
1: so unfortunately we haven't had much good news for people tonight Michael. no sorry about no that. paul in cape town good evening hi good evening hi how can hi. we help paul
5: thanks so much for the program listen mm. um compassionate leave family responsibility leave is that the same thing is there a difference
2: now well in some of the companies they do allow compassionate leave over and above the family responsibility leave but the only legislated compassionate leave is the one under section 27 of the basic conditions of employment act which is the family responsibility leave many companies have for instance compassionate leave for uh, i know that um in my firm at bagram's attorneys our tea lady um her husband just passed away bless him and she's had to go back to the eastern cape uh, so we've over and above the family responsibility leave we've agreed on compassionate leave because she needs time to go up there, to travel Mm. there, get ready for the funeral, and also to go into a mourning period. It's part of her tradition and Mm. her religion, and also then to travel back. So, obviously, we in our firm, in our small little firm, have a separate agreement with our employees called compassionate leave. Mm. Um, And that is her husband, after all, um, and, and he's just passed away. But If you're looking to hold someone to something, if you haven't got it in an agreement, you can only do it in terms of Section 27, which is the family responsibility. And unfortunately, it's only three days per annum. That's all it is. So if you, and uh, for instance, if you've got a loved one that died, uh, you might want longer period of time to be able to mourn properly. Um, You're going to have to have it. Or if you've got a child that's very ill and three days is not going to do it, you're going to sit by the bedside for a month. Um, I understand compassionate leave and I think many firms do.
1: Can, mm. you take, can you take family responsibility leave in advance? I mean, if you need, say, six no. days, you can't take your three from this year and sort of take no, three from next it's, year. No, it is three per annum. That is so You
5: almost probably have to take unpaid leave. Mm, or
1: actual leave.
5: Yeah, yeah, I was just always under the impression that compassionate leave is when someone dies and family responsibility is something totally different. If you have a responsibility to see to something, you know, regarding the family, that's an emergency yeah. or no, no, no. You know.
2: It's it's actually says um that when you're in the event of the death of a spouse, life partner, or the employee's parent, adopted parent, grandparent child, adopted child, grandchild or sibling. Mm. That's or all CD under CD family. Or yeah, and that's all under family responsibility leave. So it's yeah. it's not adequate. I understand that, and many firms do understand that. And mm. and if you could present your personal circumstances, I'm sure People are not heartless. Um,
5: yeah, they could be flexible, yeah. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you thank so you. much. Okay, thank Paul, you thanks much. for getting good through. Good
1: evening, you too. Thank thank thanks bye a lot. Bye-bye now. Off to KZN. Simo, good evening. Hello. Hello, Simo. Uh, How are you? I'm okay, thank you. How are you? Good, fine. Thank you. How can we help?
0: Okay, I need some uh, some advice here. Uh, I'm employed by government, and... Uh, when I was employed, uh, I found the, 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 the appointment letter uh, with the title. But when the, down on the line, when I get my salary advice, I found that the job title that I was employed for is not written on my salary advice. When I I check with my HR, they said that uh, job title it doesn't appear on their personal system. So I need some advice. What can I do with that? Because I tried to follow the unions, uh, but they failed to
2: to 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 cover that. That's interesting. And you say you work for government? Yeah,
0: I'm working for government.
2: I I normally what happens is on the on the payslip, and it should should indicate what your position is. Um, that's what the Basic Conditions of Employment Act tells us should happen. Um, and if the union won't do anything then i find that very odd very suspicious
0: yeah um, because d- it, it, it's very suspicious because uh we we, we they, they tried now they they saying now uh that that job title they're gonna uh take it out but they didn't give us some letters that that job title doesn't appear because what happened we've got qualification with the people working inside working in the field so the duties are not the same at all that we, we were doing because working outside in the field, but I mean, now they are saying we have to use the job title for the for the for the other employees who are working inside. So now they, they don't want. I think they're trying to get away but about payment because our duties they need more payment than the people who are working inside.
2: Okay, because if you look and you could raise a grievance because. And tell them in the grievance that you're looking at the Basic Conditions of Employment Act at Section 33, and okay. it says Information, Section 33, Basic Conditions of Employment Act, and it's the heading is Information and Remuneration, and under number 331B, it says the employee's name and occupation must appear on yeah. the payslip.
0: Yes, hey, yeah, that thing, it, 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 we, we tried to push that, but we're not winning at all. Nah,
2: because they said, that thing it,
0: it, they said that thing is not happening in, in other provinces, it's happening in and So they created the title and then they didn't put it on the puzzle. So now it's uh, when we ask them whose fault is that we don't get answer. Oh, on that situation. I think you now. must raise
2: a grievance, and you can quote Corin Key from <laughs> SAFM. <laughs> no,
1: Michael Bagram, yeah. definitely. I'm not an attorney. Yeah, okay,
2: but can you use my name and tell them that I said in terms of Section 33.1B okay. of the Basic Conditions of Employment 33 Act? 1 B, okay. 33 one 33.1B, Basic Conditions of Employment Act. You're entitled to have your occupation written on your payslip, and
1: if if they
2: won't do it, then you must raise a grievance and you must push it up the levels. Okay, okay. okay. Thank Thank, you.
1: Sima, do you have an email address? Yes, I quite Okay, like. I'm going to put you back to my producer. If you can just give him your email address, I will send you that section from the, from the act. So that I'll, you appre- can, okay. I'll
0: appreciate
7: that. All right, so you. just hold
1: the line and just speak to him and he'll take your email address and I'll do it for you later uh, this evening.
0: Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks,
1: Simo. Thanks. Okay, okay, good bro. night. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, Bye. off to Johannesburg. Oscar, good evening.
7: How are you, Karen? Fine, how are you? Fine, I've got a question here. Okay. I'm with you for one of the uh, CSOC's uh, state-owned company. Right. And there's this agreement between them to say now, if i want to move from Company A to Company B, my the Company A in which I'm applying to, must inform my manager to say Oscar did apply. Can I interview Oscar? And it's up to my manager to say yes or no. Over and above that, after the interview has been held, they must also give feedback to my manager to say, Mr. Manager, Oscar did apply and he was a successful candidate. Can I make Oscar an offer? And it's up to my manager to say yes or no. You know, and that is somehow holding you back you know, in your career in a way. Yeah. And uh, over and above that, the company doesn't, give, uh, what you call, give you um, a compensation or counter offer to that. They keep it among themselves without knowing about it. But you know, sometimes, sometimes information leaks very easy. Mm-hmm. What is my legal recourse on
2: that one?
1: So uh, can. I just interrupt you. What what companies
2: is he working he, for? He works for a state-owned enterprise, an SOE. Yeah, and they've got subsidiaries into that. I'm just confused about
1: why they can ask whether, you know, is it okay because if I'm a making subsidiary. A, oh, that's that's a subsidiary. Oh, as a subsidiary,
7: okay. i are giving a directive by email to everybody to say now. Okay. That's the internal the agreement yeah. before being interviewed by a company. Ah, yes. The manager must be informed and he must, and he must go ahead to it by email. Yeah. For that matter.
1: Okay, all right, Michael, your uh, response un, to unfortunately, that? Unfortunately,
2: those are the internal rules and regulations between companies and their subsidiaries, and they rule it themselves it doesn't sound fair but this is the internal regulations this is not contained in the labor law this is contained in their own internal agreements from a from an soe to its subsidiaries Uh, you probably could challenge it by saying that this is a counter um, free market and it 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 stops you being able to grow in your profession you probably could challenge it it won't be a labor case per se you probably could go to the labor court but it, it, it sounds like an unfair discrimination of some sort that if they just want to hold you there they can do it it's not you know, an ma- easy well, it's at, not an easy at, case
7: at some point my manager told me uh oscar i can see you uh, applying for other in other companies mm. just if they're going nowhere without you i'll never survive but yeah. within the same company if i apply for higher position i'm not being called for interviews whereby i fully uh, comply to what you call to the yeah. to the requirements as set out they're, holding, and you they're Unfortunately. holding you back. They're holding you back. Without remuneration or whatever the case may be, or counter offer.
1: It sounds to it me, Oscar, like you're just too good at what you're doing at the moment. They don't want to lose you. They don't want to lose you, yeah. No, but. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're doing too good of a job here by the sounds of it.
7: <laughs> the other question that I have, Karen, is um, most of the companies now off they, late, they do require one, to, if a successful candidate, before the employee. You must vo- you must go for criminal check record,
1: mm-hmm. right?
7: Uh, and by definition, criminal record is whereby your fingerprints are taken. Yes. Irrespective of the fact that you go to court, the case is the, the case are dismissed, whatever the case might be, the fact remains fingerprints are taken. That constitutes criminal record. Now, how 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 how, how does this thing hold
2: water? It doesn't. If you haven't been, if you have not been convicted, then it has oh. to indicate that there's no conviction, even if they have your your fingerprints. The the police have my fingerprints, for instance, because I applied for a a gun license. They got my fingerprints, but that doesn't mean I've been convicted of anything. So the the records must read. If the records are wrong, you need to go and have them changed. But if they've got your fingerprints, there's no reason why you should come up with a criminal record. Everyone today who gets a driver's license... Or even your ID or or your passport or anything. I know, (laughs) I've just had my driver's license renewed... And they took my fingerprints that doesn't well, mean
7: the, the report nobody comes to say solicit of uh, what you call a criminal criminal, criminal offense
2: well then it's and wrong this, that... this is
7: now whereby they go back and uh, request for fair information on the matter no, no, now, it's, now, it's wrong if, if, if i'm being if i'm being now convicted or uh guilty for and driving can can that um Uh, what you call affect my appointment or it it depends on the position
2: it can because then you'll have a criminal record and some some positions won't take you if their internal regulations don't allow for a criminal record for instance if you've got a criminal record um for fraud then you can't become an accountant Um, so so it depends on that profession so uh, the idea is Everyone should not have a criminal record. That's, that's the if real possible. idea, if mm. possible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay,
2: thank okay, you, very much. Thank you. Thanks, Oscar.
1: Um, good okay, luck. Well, good, night. good night to you. Morgan in the Northern Cape, good evening. Uh,
8: good evening, how are you? Fine, thanks, and you? Fine, I've got a pretty comment here. Uh, I've got two appointments that I need to review. The first scenario is that this employee X was appointed and it was discovered that he doesn't meet the requirements. He was uh, outside the institution anyway, it's not a promotion. Now how do I go about correcting, uh, reviewing or, or canceling this appointment? Scenario two is that employee that worked for the employer, then left for a month, come back after a month and wanted to withdraw her resignation. Okay. Uh, And the employer was taken back and even her salary adjusted. Now the scenario that I'm sitting with as a manager is to review these two appointments. How do I go about doing that?
2: Okay. Can I start with the easy one, the second one first, if you don't mind? Uh, Once you've taken someone back, you've taken them back. You've accepted the withdrawal of the resignation. So that's your problem, not her problem. So it's very difficult to review that one because... Um, as a manager, what one of your juniors did was to allow her back into the company and let her work. So I think you've got a problem there. You can't do anything at all. Uh, she's done nothing wrong. She resigned. She went away. And then she decided, hold on, it was much warmer inside. She's come back and they've accepted her back and she started working. So I don't think there's anything you can do there. With the other problem, it's a bit more difficult because there what's happened is you had a certain criteria and you despite that employed that person now if they hid or they lied to you that they had the qualifications or the abilities then it's very easy to dismiss if they didn't lie if they were completely honest and said I don't for instance if one of the criteria is you have got to have a matric and they said "No, I don't have a matric and then you still employed them I think you've got a problem to say now hold on a minute we've made a mistake here. you must go Um, and especially if they've been working there for a while so that's a much more complicated exercise. Um, what's, w- can you give me more details as to what happened over here? Why didn't you know that they didn't have the qualifications?
8: No, no, no. I, I think it's a, it's a matter of favoritism. Look, I'm the new manager. Uh, okay. One of the internal employees complained that this particular person was appointed to this position. The manager then appointed the person because they had uh, whatever relationship they had
2: to this
8: position irrespective of the person not meeting the requirements.
2: Okay, then you should be able to go to the person, have an inquiry and explain that this was it was an unfair appointment, it was wrong, it was illegal and we have to actually terminate on the operational requirements, especially if the requirements are necessary for the performance of the job. Which is the case. Yeah, now then then you can it sounds would like you have to prove that there was some to, sort of a relationship yes, you're between you're probably going to have to do something like that to show why you actually went ahead and appointed. Because if this lady then goes to the court and challenges it uh, and says, but you know, they knew that I didn't have a matric and yet they still appointed me, um, you'd have to come and show that there was something untoward some sort of uh, about, her, or something. about her appointment. So you'd have oh, to okay. you'd have to show that, but you can that one you can act
1: on. Where is this other manager? Is he gone or gone now? Yeah, she's he's gone now. Mm. Okay, and is uh, this the the story of the of the relationship? Is that quite common knowledge? I mean, uh, come again. The there the the apparent story of the relationship between the employee and the previous manager is: does everybody know that there was some sort of relationship? Or it I might think have been it was a family? Or you've yeah. got oh yeah, or a family thing, or what? What was it?
8: It was a friendly relationship. They were uh, friends, and they appointed this person uh, okay. to the position.
2: No, it's not, it's not. You can you can actually act on that one.
1: I think well, why I'm okay. asking is because sometimes you need to be careful. Of the person complaining, could have a grievance against the other one and make up something. So you've also got to be careful that that it is really something to it. Uh,
8: from from the look of things, there was something to yeah.
1: it. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. I would okay. I would work on that one. Okay. Thank Thank you. you Okay, Morgan, good luck to you. Bye-bye.
1: Naidoo in Durban, if you can be very brief, because we've got literally three minutes to the end of the show. Have you got a very quick question for us, Naidu?
5: Okay, ma'am. Good evening to the panel. Hello. Hi. Uh, My name is, you can call me Norman Naidoo. Norman, Norman, hello. I responded to your program, and you gave me advice, and nothing has been done. But fortunately, I had a call on uh, Friday that there will be a hearing on the uh, 26th of November, which is a Tuesday, 2013. Now, they're not telling me who they're going to call onto the panel, whether the doctors or who are massage. Up, uh, and my meeting is about 1 p.m. And this case took more than one year. Oh, wow. Now, the problem that I have is because it's a RAF, and RAF indicated that they have done the homework, they're prepared to pay, but they will not pay until I hear the Walkman Conversation hearing, which is on the 26th of November at one PM. Now what do I do in this case now?
2: Well, you've got to go there and you've got to defend yourself and you've got to prosecute properly.
5: Now what do I engage attorney or can I go myself? I
2: would I would suggest that it sounds quite quite serious and I would engage an attorney.
5: So, so if, you would get engage attorney. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay. Do you can you recommend somebody in Durban? Because it's happening at Royal Hotel Fort Floor. That's where the hearing officer oh, yeah. is.
2: I can't Thank recommend you. anyone no. But you can phone the Law Society in Durban, and right. they can then tell you who's an expert in that particular area.
5: Um, okay, because I'm basically totally uh, 44% disability, which shows from the RAF.
2: Correct. Now, I would suggest you find the Law Workman
5: Society. WCA is confirming 22%. Now, mm. somebody's not using mm. their international <laughs> standards. Yeah, correct. Okay. But then
2: get an attorney. I think it's absolutely vital. That's what you must But
5: do. I must also thank your program. But after contacting one of your attorneys, he put me through the, through the right channel, and that's where I've been able to get a response on last Friday.
1: Well, thank you. It's a Norman, good luck to you, and uh, get hold of the Law Society in, in KwaZulu-Natal, and they'll be and able to put you on the society, right. Uh,
5: do they have one in Durban? Yes, yes uh, they yes. do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for your help. It's thank a pleasure, you. Norman.
1: Good luck thank to you. you. Good right. night. Before. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Oh, gosh, another end of another show. We could have gone on for another hour here with a number of calls still holding on. Sorry to Tabo in Soweto and Cassius in Bloemfontein. We really would have loved to have spoken with you, but unfortunately, we only have an hour. My thanks once again this evening to Michael Begram. He's the practicing managing partner at Begram's Attorneys, Labour Law Specialists in Cape Town, and he's been my guest on tonight's edition of The Law Report. Michael, once again, thank you very much.
2: Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm just getting into it. So. <laughs> now that's the end of it now.
4: Yeah. The
1: Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening. Between 9 and 10 and if you'd like to contact me you can do so via email on law at safm.co.za and facebook is law on SAFM, And there's lots of, pr- of documents and templates and all sorts of information on the Facebook page. Have a look. If you'd like any of them, drop me a mail or post on Facebook, including your email address, and I will send them all to you. In next week's program, being the second Monday of the month, it's time once again for our General Law Clinic. And this month, we'll be joined by Mzor Chaka, a director at Schoolman Chaka Attorneys. It's the Law Report next Monday, the 11th of November. And Michael will be back with us again on the first Monday of December, which I think is the second I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with the disability report. So join me then. Stephen Kirk is up now with nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.